it's possible, isn't it, to, to look at something and then later realise that the thing you're looking at is not the full picture. And when you see the full picture, you, you realise that the, the conclusions you came to, or the assumptions you made, were wrong. And that's used to great effect in movies and in books, where they get you to think one thing, and then later there's a twist, and when you see the full picture, you realise that it was different from what you thought. An example of that that frustrated me was in the Harry Potter series with Professor Snape. You, you never quite know whose side he's on. One minute he seems to be a bad guy, then he seems to be a good guy, and it's not till the end when you see the full picture that everything starts to make sense. Not, not that much sense, though. I wasn't that convinced by the Snape plot. But it, it also happens in, in, in real life, too, where we can make a judgment about a situation or about a person and then later when we see the full picture, we realise that we've got it wrong. And these, these parables of the kingdom that we're looking at in Sunday mornings, they tell us the same thing too. They tell us that the, the way the kingdom of heaven appears now is not the full picture. That it's possible to, to look at the kingdom of heaven now and to be misled by the way that it appears so, so far in the book of Matthew, Jesus, he's been announcing the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's been made clear that he is God's chosen king and he's ushering in God's kingdom. But the problem is that the kingdom doesn't look like everyone expected. If Jesus really was the king, if he really was bringing in the kingdom of heaven, then why were so many people rejecting him? Why were his followers under so much pressure? Why were God's people still being oppressed? by the Romans? Why wasn't the kingdom more effective if Jesus really was the king? See, from the Old Testament, people were expecting the Messiah to come and, and bring in God's rule. But he, he'd do it by bringing in judgment. He'd establish God's kingdom by getting rid of all those that rejected God's rule, rooting out evil and sin and wickedness. So they expected God to act by sending a king who would, who would deal with sin and evil. So take John the Baptist, for example. He comes on the scene at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and he's, he's announcing the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand, it's right here. And he urges people, in the light of that, to repent. He says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but one will come after me who's more powerful than I, whose sandals are not fit to carry. He'll baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he'll clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He says that the axe is already at the root of the tree. This judgment is going to come. So you've got to repent. But then when Jesus does come, he unleashes not judgment, but mercy. He shows immense compassion. He heals the sick. He forgives sins. And, and then John ends up in prison. And he sends people to Jesus to ask, are you really the one who was to come? Or are we expecting someone else? Because he's thinking, well, if Jesus really was the king, if he really is bringing in the kingdom, then, then why am I sat here in a prison cell? Why are God's servants suffering? Why are those that oppose God's rule still in charge? Where's the judgment? Why doesn't God do something? 
And so often, we can find ourselves thinking exactly the same thing. We look around the world, we see so much pain, so much evil, so much suffering. We hear stories like the ones that Steve's just brought to us. And we think, why? If, if God's in control, if Jesus really is the one who was sent to sort out our messed up worlds, then why is it still messed up? And for those, of, those who are not Christians, this is often the biggest objection to the Christian faith. If Jesus is, is the king, if he really does rule, then why does he allow evil and suffering in the world? Well, in the parable of the weeds that we're looking at this morning, Jesus wants to address questions like this, questions that his followers were asking, questions that we are also asking. How can, how can the kingdom of heaven be here when there's still so much sin in the world? So let's have a look at this parable then. If you've got your Bibles there, open it again to Matthew chapter 13. A situation that, uh, that Jesus describes in this parable might seem a bit weird to us, but it will have been immediately recognisable to people in his day. It was actually something that really happened. A farmer would go out and sow good seed in his field, and then uh, an enemy, maybe for revenge or to gain some sort of competitive advantage, would come in the night and sow weed seeds amongst his wheat. And maybe in the early stages of growth, he couldn't actually tell, he couldn't see the difference, but uh, it would grow up alongside the wheat, and the, the roots would intertwine, making it impossible to pull up the weeds without damaging the wheat. And the big contrast in this parable is, is the contrast between the master and the servants. So the servants' attitude is, as soon as they realise what's going on, they want to get out there and sort it out. They want to put things right. They see that there's weeds in the field amongst the wheat and they want to go and pull them out straight away. On the other hand, the master stops them. Look what he says in verse 28 and 29. Servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both of them grow up together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, I think I must have an, en an enemy on my allotment at least that's the excuse I'm using. But actually, it's probably more uh, because I lost the key to my allotments and didn't get in for several weeks. And when I did get in, the weeds had engulfed all of my plants. And it's so bad, actually, that I'm getting some grief off the old-timers there. <laughs> when they see me working in the plot, they shout over, Oi, Tarzan, what's it like in the jungle? <laughs> they think it's hilarious. Anyway. I know how both the servants and the master must have felt in this parable. Because like the servants, I, I see the weeds and my instinct is to go and pull them out. They, they shouldn't be there. They're ruining my allotment. I want to get rid of them. But like the master, I, I know from, from, from experience that, if, that they're so close to the plants that if I do try and pull them out, the, the roots are all tangled together and I will damage or even uproot the plants with them. And the master in this parable wants to maximise the harvest. That's his motivation. He realises that if he tries to pull out the weeds now, 
they'll inevitably pull out some of the wheat with them. And he doesn't want that. He wants the maximum harvest. And so it's much wiser to wait, to wait until the wheat's fully grown and uh, then the whole field can be harvested and then at the harvest the wheat and the weeds can be properly separated. The, wheat, the weeds will be burned, they're of no use and the wheat can be gathered into his barn. So the wheat and the weeds will be separated but, but not yet. It'll happen in the future and that's to ensure the maximum harvest. Okay, that's what a parable says. What does it mean? Some of the parables are quite hard to understand, but, but me and Ken got the easy ones these last couple of weeks because Jesus actually explains them for us. And Jesus' explanation is a bit further down, uh, starting at verse 36, on to verse 43. And what we see in the explanation is that Jesus is giving us a picture of what the world is like between his two comings. So he is the one who sows the seed, says that in verse 37, and he's also the one who will come again to separate the harvest at the end of the age, verse 41. And this, this time between those two comings is the time when his, when his disciples lived, it's also the time in which we live. And in this time, Jesus says, there will be this coexistence of good and evil in the world. Just, just as the farmer hates the weeds, God hates evil. It pains him deeply. He, he's much more offended by it than, than we are. And he will deal with it. He will remove all the evil, all the sin from the world, but not yet. For now, he allows it for the sake of the bigger harvest. And we need to remember that so that we have a realistic expectation of the present. There's a distinction between what God allows and what will finally be. And we mustn't be fooled by the fact that, that Jesus' kingdom doesn't appear now as impressive as we think it should do. Jesus will deal with with evil when he comes, but until then we can expect the situation to be this coexistence of good and evil. And it's, it's important for us to have this right expectation of the now, because it'll, it'll stop us from having our faith wobbled, or, or being tempted to think that Jesus is out of control, is, is not in control. Because we, we face a similar situation to the disciples, don't we? We, we look around the world and, and we see so much evil. We see so much opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. And we're tempted to think that Jesus isn't in control. Or that, that his kingdom is weak because that's how it appears. Or that his kingdom is just very small because that's how it appears. Or maybe that everything's gone wrong. And we hear stories every day of murder, war, terrorism. Is Jesus in control? Well, this parable, in this parable, Jesus says we shouldn't be surprised by the situation. The way things appear now is not the full picture. There's going to be a separation in the future. But in the presence, there's going to be this coexistence of good and evil. And of course, Jesus is in control. The situation is exactly how he said it was going to be. 
but as, well, but as well as warning us to have the realistic expectation of the presence. This parable warns us we've got to have a realistic expectation of the future. Because it warns us, doesn't it, of the, the reality of coming judgment. Jesus says that the present situation is not going to last forever. It may not look like it now, but in the future, God's kingdom will be made perfectly good. But of course, that means that all the weeds need to be separated from the wheat. If God's kingdom is going to be the perfect world that we all want it to be, then all opposition to his kingdom, all sin, all evil in the world must be done away with. Look at verse 41. A son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Jesus says on that, on that day there's only going to be two types of people. He mentions them in verse 38. There's going to be sons of the kingdom, the people for whom Jesus is king. So Jesus is their king, they're in the kingdom. And there's the sons of the evil one, those for whom Jesus is not king. They haven't accepted Jesus as their king. So they're the two types of people. There's no middle ground. There's not some people sitting on the fence who haven't made up their minds. Jesus says there's only two types of people because there's only two types of seed. The seed that's sown by Jesus and the seed sown by the devil. And on that final day, those two types of people, Jesus says, are going to be separated. And just like the weeds are burned, Jesus says those who oppose the kingdom will be thrown into hell. Verse 42, the fiery furnace where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a horrible picture, isn't it? The end situation for those who reject Jesus as king is, is truly dreadful. And, and this is Jesus saying this. This is Jesus who was called the friend of sinners. This is Jesus who was, who was said to be uh, humble and gentle of spirit. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And yet this same Jesus said such, such, speaks so clearly about hell as a place of terrible anguish and despair and regret. In fact, Jesus speaks about hell more than anyone in the Bible. All, all the popular images of, of hell as a place of darkness and punishment, they're not from some obscure Old Testament prophet, they're from the lips of Jesus. The kingdom, he says, will be perfectly good. So there must be a time, there must be a time when God gets rid of everything else, everything that spoils it, all that is evil. If there's going to be a good, perfect kingdom, everything that opposes it has got to be separated out and dealt with. And those who stand against Jesus' kingdom are going to face a terrible fate. The contrast to that is the sons of the kingdom, those for whom Jesus is their king. For them is a great image of glory. Look at verse 43. Jesus says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. A picture of, of glory, of permanence, of relationship. They're with their father in his kingdom. Now it's not not easy speaking of judgment. Um, I'd much rather not 
and we've always got to speak of judgment with a weight on the heart but, but we've got to speak of it because Jesus did and I just want to be straight with you about what he said he warns us in this parable judgment's real and it's going to come so this is a parable about, about judgment but, but even more than that this is a parable about God's patience See, God, God doesn't bring us judgment yet. God's been patient. He delays separating the wheat from the weeds until the future. And, and why has he done this? Well, uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 puts it this way. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish for everyone to come to repentance. So, so that's, why Jesus, that's why Jesus delays coming. He's not slow in coming, as you understand slowness perhaps. He is patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, the, the continuing presence of evil in the world is not a sign of neglect on the part of God. It's, it, it's a sign of mercy. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because uh, he can't do anything. It's because he is merciful and he is being patient with you. In his mercy, he delays bringing judgment so to give people time to come back to him. He delays coming so that people can can come into his kingdom. Just like the the farmer in the parable, he wants to maximise the harvest. He wants more people in heaven with him. If, if ten years ago Jesus had sent out his angels to root out all, uh, the, 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 all that caused sin and all of the evil from his world, where would that have left many of us if he'd done that ten years ago? The, the world would have been spared many tragedies. You know, lots of suffering would have been spared, but And yet God stayed his hand. He allowed the weeds so that his harvest might be even greater. If if today Jesus sends out his angels to root out all causes of sin and all who do evil, where would that leave many of our friends, many in our families? Where would that leave some here? The Bible says it's an act of mercy that he delays dealing with evil. One day he's going to sort it out. We don't know when that's going to be. But until then he gives us time. But he's given us it for a reason and we mustn't take it lightly. Now you might be someone uh, here this morning who's not a Christian, who hasn't, you, you haven't come back to the side of having Jesus as your king. Well, if if that's you, then you need to realise that God is being patient with you. He's giving you an opportunity to come to repentance, to emerge on his side. And this parable says, don't take that time lightly. He's giving you time to act, not to duck the issue. For some of you, that might mean starting from square one and asking, "Is is any of this true? Others might be further down the line. 
But, but whatever it is you need to do, this parable says now is the time to do it. Please use the time that God's given you because you don't know how long it's going to be. What about those of us who are Christians? Those of us who've already come back to the side of, of having Jesus as our king? Well, I think from this parable, we need to learn to be as patient as God is with those who haven't. You remember the servant's attitude in the parable? Uh, they want to get rid of the, the weeds immediately. I think that's an attitude we can fall into as Christians. It's very easy for us to be, to be short-sighted and impatient with the world around us. So we, we, we look around at the opposition to Jesus and, and we want him to do something now. We want him to bring judgment now. How different that is from, from God's attitudes. He is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So for us who are Christians, the, the challenge of this parable is to hear what the Master says to the servants. God wants us to learn to be as patient as he is for the sake of the maximum harvest. God's longing now is that more people know his mercy so they can escape judgment. And that should shape our prayers and our priorities. Now is not the time for judgment. Now is is the time to tell others about the mercy of God. See, See, as God... As Jesus delays his return every day that he gives is a day is an opportunity for us it's a day of opportunity a day for us either to repent or a day to tell others about his mercy so let's pray that he'll help us do that